Welcome to the Fear Soul Podcast. I'm Jordan Ray, the Soul Diva, and I'm on a mission for women to love themselves fiercely, live soulfully, transform their trauma and toxic experiences, to reclaim their worth and self-expression. I chat with thought leaders and inspirational women in free-flowing conversations, with a focus on loving yourself, soulful living, emotional well-being, creative expression, and body wisdom, intended to empower you to practice self-love and guide you to your authentic self-expression. Welcome to the Queendom Stories series, inspirational women sharing their transformational stories. Welcome back. And this week I am joined by the awesome Francie. And Francie is going to be sharing her self-love journey with us, which I know she has been on for a year and is celebrating that. So Francie, let's start to talk about this year of self-love. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. This is such an honor. And well, yes, I am 34 years old and I have loved myself for a whole year. (laughs) That's after a lot of therapy and mentorship and just realizing that my past doesn't define me. That is huge, like so huge. Obviously, you mentioned therapy and mentorship and getting to this realization. Are you okay to take us all the way back and to just give us some indication of what happened before all of that? And that's led you to where you are now. So once upon a time, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anyways, I am originally from Puerto Rico. And so, like I said, my mom had me with her first husband, but she didn't find my dad till her second marriage. I just said it this way the other day. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. That's perfect, the way to explain it. So I, I had a great childhood. My mom and what is called my stepdad, but I hate that word. My dad who took me in when I was one, uh, they loved me. They cherished me. They tried to give me the best. Well, when I was nine, my biological father just showed up and busted that bubble and made me a grown up at just nine years old because I was scared and I was introduced to anxiety, but I didn't know then. I mean, I was only nine and I was already feeling like I had to protect my mom from her sisters because she's a baby of 11 kids and she has five sisters. Nobody should have that many sisters. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, I felt like I had to protect her because I didn't know what his intentions were. But anyways, he left and abandoned me again, which I learned by therapy is not abandoning. He's just doing his life. And then at 13, I have some anger issues. So we went back to my grandma to talk to my biological father again, because my mom, I don't know how my mom knew that that was the situation, but she wanted to help me. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when I became a teenager, my mom became my enemy. So she was my best friend. Yeah. (laughs) And then at 13, it was like, who are you? I hate you. All my problems is because of you. Of course. And, she's she's the yeah. closest person to you. She's going to get everything. 
<laughs> she did, poor woman. I love her to death. And she's my best friend now. But at 14, she asked me and my boyfriend at the time, he was 19, if we had had sex. He said no. But of course, I knew if my mom asked, it was because she already knew the answer. So I said yes. Well, on Wednesday, I find out she has a judge coming on Friday to marry me. And I'm 14 years old. Whoa. I usually have to give a little bit of time for people to process what I just said. <laughs> that is huge. So I was like, you're crazy. So I'm going to go and get married because that's the only solution to this hot mess. So I did. And 10 months later, of course, you know, we're going to separate it. But then I was like, I'm, I'm too grown to be with my mom, to be back at my mom. So what was the next thing I do? I called my biological father. I was like, hey, stranger, it's your turn now. So pick me up. I'm out of here. I went from Puerto Rico to Maryland. And then I, I don't talk a lot about the side of my biological father. But there was a little bit of grooming from the beginning I got there. We were like friends, not like father-daughter. We never were father and daughter. Okay. And there was some things going on already, but it didn't feel like it was grooming. I just, after therapy and all that stuff, I can say now that it was grooming. But his training, literally, he told me he was training me to be a better wife. Because he didn't want me to turn out like my mother. So he was teaching me about sexy side. So I went from in the Puerto Rican culture or Hispanic culture. We don't talk about sex. Mm -hmm. It's a no-no till we're pregnant. And then we're like, oh, well, we should have to talk now. No, it's already too late. I figure it out. <laughs> I went from not talking about it to talking about it in the wrong way. Yeah. But I felt understood. I felt like I I was I have found the piecing puzzle. The yeah, the puzzle. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I've got you. We've got yeah. you. So then we moved to Kansas from Maryland and the training went to another level because he had gotten divorced. So now I'm the woman of the house. How old are you at this point? At this point I am 18, 19. So you're still young. It has taken me a long, long time to realize I was still a baby. Yeah. And mentally, I had stopped because at 15, I had to become a different person, a different language in a different country. Everything is new. Yeah. So and before that, you know, I had stopped because of all the nonsense with my mom. So like I really didn't have a chance to be a kid. Because yeah. I asked now, and I'm like, Mom, did you know that I like to journal? She didn't know. Did you know that I used to write novellas, soap operas? You know, as a kid, you go to your parent, and you're like, look what I made, so you can put it in the fridge. <laughs> I didn't have that with my mom. And I wonder what happened, but she wasn't a present mom. She was a loving mom, but she wasn't a present mom. So then thanks to my biological father, I say I have a PhD on all types of abuse to help other people <laughs> in the process. I, 
<laughs> the contradiction of you laughing at that point while I you know, say that <laughs> no 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 it was I'm aware that everyone listening can't obviously see you and it was the smile that came and it was like I understand this is you've worked through this and and this is your coping but I was just taken by the the, the laughing about it at the same time I do use a lot of comedy in my yeah. trauma and my mess <laughs> you have to see the positive side and like I said I have a PhD so I can help others because like I can't tell you about abuse without me knowing what it means you know I can help you out but I can't have the empathy and now I, I do I have the sympathy and the empathy because I understand about verbal abuse emotional abuse that a lot of people don't count it as abuse yeah Physical think- abuse and a sexual abuse. But that part one time was I could remember and then it was consensual. So that brings a whole lot of mess of unworthiness, unlovable, I'm not enough, all of that. And I have always had love with sex because I have always got that attention from men. And then that was the part that my biological father was proud of. So I saw my worth in sex. So I worked for the post office and that has saved my life because working 12 hours, six days a week, it's hard to have a life and get in trouble if you're always at work. (laughs) That's true. And then I met my boyfriend and he got me out of that situation with my biological father. Now, even though he was my hero at the time, I was angry at him because he was the reason that I lost my husband and my kid, but it was my biological father and my half brother. Uh, There was a lot of toxicity with him because there was a lot of anger. I'm very independent. Well, I have to be since I was nine years old. (laughs) So that's all I know. The grownups around me suck. I have to take care of my life. (laughs) Absolutely. You're the one that's kept yourself going from, you say nine, but then when you've commented on your mum not always being present, I would guess actually it's been a little bit longer than that in some respects. I I think so too. It's just that I have a huge family. Like I said, my mom is a baby of 11 and there was 24 kids being raised at the same time in the 90s because I have 24 cousins from just one side of the family. Yes, So huge family from that respect. Yes. So then my boyfriend comes into my life and he's like, you don't have to do life alone. I can help you and this, this and that. And I'm like, F off. Leave me alone. I got to do this on my own. So a lot of on and off therapy, a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs and a lot of sex. That was my 20s. I say that my 20s, I threw them down the trash. They're gone. So now my 30s, I'm trying to be better, but I still was, something was still like stuck, but it was because I couldn't talk about my trauma on and off therapy. And I just, I, I have a love hate relationship with therapy because I think for me, in my opinion, therapy is to get you out of the feelings. Like if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're any negative, So in my opinion, therapy is good if you're getting out of the feelings of depression, anxiety, and things like that. 
But then after you're done with those feelings or feel better, I think it's more of a mentorship, like life coaches and things like that, because they have a process and a can accountable partner yeah. to help you be like, this is what you need to do next. I think so. I have both at the same time right now. <laughs> and that's where I was going is I think therapy is great for trauma where it's live and you you do need to dig into it but how do you then as you're healing all of that how do you put that in your everyday life how do you start to invite people in for you as you were yes. talking about being independent so yeah well then uh, with different life coaches and things that I was looking I have been on podcasts for seven years mm -hmm. listening to podcasts books uh YouTube university like they call it <laughs> And through it all, I found my mentor and she was a sex worker in her twenties. And I was like, girl, you're my girl. Because I thought like, I knew that she would understand, but I was still not talking about my trauma. It wasn't until my boyfriend got involved that he did the betrayal trauma where he told my story without me telling it. And then my mentor was like, oh, whoa. We have to dig deeper because we're not even touching what the real problem is. So then finally, I'm able to speak about it with codes. <laughs> so people understand that it's a messy situation, but I'm still not there yet. And then uh, I don't know how it happened with her. She told me to, uh, she learned that I love journaling. And I love to write myself letters and things. I have letters from the past, future. I mean, letters for everything uh, to myself. But I have never wrote a love letter to myself. And that was it. I could not believe it. There was so much love in this letter. Like if it was for a best friend that I didn't think it was capable for me, for myself, to loving myself in that way. And yeah, after that letter, I mean, I'm not saying like the letter was the magic thing. There's a bunch of things <laughs> that has helped through the process, but that was the validation that I needed, that it was okay to love myself and that I am amazing and that I have stuff to bring to this world. Wow. I was going to say before us talking today, I knew a small piece of your story, but not in the detail that you've just shared. And I think the only gentle challenge I would give you, this is my coaching head coming on, is you, you talk about your 20s being down the toilet. And actually, my gentle challenge would be that actually your 20s was your trying to deal with it and trying to cope and trying to, okay, I'm probably putting words into your mouth, but using the drugs, the sex, the alcohol, trying to numb and trying to find mm -hmm. love and trying to kind of deal with all these feelings and life doesn't come with a rule book life doesn't tell us how hard even without everything you went through how hard those relationships in your teenage years are going to get with parents even if everything has been absolutely wonderful there will still be a point where that young person is trying to find their freedom their independence and clash with their parents but add any additional layers on like you've talked about between having your biological dad and, and your dad and then the relationship with your mum and everything else and by the time you hit teenage years of course it adds on a whole other level and actually at 14 you went from a 14 year old to a full-on adult mm -hmm. 
So no wonder in your 20s, your brain and body were trying to make sense of all of this. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It's a different perspective. (laughs) Well, I think that everything, I know that there is, there's the saying that everything happens for a reason. When we're talking children and we're talking some of the things that happen to children, that is not the correct perspective. But I think when we're trying to then heal and move on from situations, that it is about looking at it as part of the process and not a wasted period. Because, I mean, obviously my story is not like yours. Certainly in, in my teenage years, doesn't have the abuse. But I always used to think that my early 20s were kind of wasted a little bit in similarity that you know, I was looking for my worth in inappropriate relationships. I ended up in the psychologically abusive relationship, which I didn't realise at the time. I didn't realise how much damage had been done in actually quite a short period until I walked away and I realised how much he'd actually ground me down. And a little bit like you're saying, I did used to think, oh, I've wasted them. You know, I looked at my friends and they were on their career journey. But actually, they were ultimately the foundation years for what I then moved on. And they have become the foundation years that I can support others with. And that's why I say, you know, having the PhD, I appreciate it because now I'm more relatable. When people come to me with their pain, they know that I truly understand where they're coming from. What has been the biggest difference between Francie this year loving herself and fancy a few years ago well a few years ago at work I started saying that I was on a mission and I didn't know what my mission was but I needed money to get there and loving myself has given me the clear vision for my mission (laughs) so like now I'm more focused I have boundaries it's different the way I relate to people and the way I accept you know, with the boundaries, because like, if you're not loving me, like I deserve to be loved, then you don't deserve to be in my life. So now I can do the clear of like, oh, hold up now. You're you're not doing what I need you to be doing. It's time for you to go if you don't bring anything positive coming in my life. I love that. I love that. And I think that's so difficult for so many women to Mm -hmm. to be able to really hold those boundaries and I think so many women want to help and want to be supportive and actually that means they give so much and they don't get back and they don't fill themselves up first and they don't receive that's awesome that you're able to go no if if it's not giving me what it needs enough yeah and like I used to I have a saying like I recheck my friends once a year and the past couple of years it has been twice a year (laughs) so like by summertime I know if you're not gonna make it to the next year (laughs) oh that's brilliant but again such an important thing funnily enough this weekend one of the things I did was a social social media cult and I went through all the groups and everything that I'm part of and it's like am I actively involved in this is it serving me is Mm -hmm. it doing what I need why am I there in the first place and I think sometimes exactly that we do need to do that and audit our lives I guess you know Mm -hmm. is everything in our lives what we need do we have what we need and are the people around us the people that not only do we need but that actually deserve a space in our life and I think sometimes that can be a little bit controversial oh yeah a hundred percent especially when it comes to family 
Yeah. But since I have blocked my biological father's side, like I don't talk to my biological father, my half brother and my grandma, but I do have connection with other people in that side of the family. And I have put the ocean between my other two families. So like for me, it's a little bit easier <laughs> to just cut people out of my life, family or not. But I do understand that it could be harder for others, especially if that's what you know. Your story was the example of that, wasn't it? Which is at the point that leaving your marriage and the, not going back to your mum and instead seeking out your dad. I think it's so often and especially in whatever form of abusive relationship, it's the what you know. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to stay with what you know or return to what you know mm -hmm. than go somewhere else because actually that's scarier, even though it might be better for you. Yeah, no, because a lot of people ask me, you know, that knew they didn't know how deep it was, but they knew that there was something going on out of the ordinary. And they're like, why? And I'm just like, well, that's all I knew. Like he was my dad. And when I knew that when I lost, if I took him out of my life, I was going to lose my brother. And my brother was like my son. So, yeah, I, there was no way that I could have left without my boyfriend because I had the interest of my boyfriend. So now I'm all excited and this and that. But then my biological father took that as betrayal and kicked me out. And then my brother was out of town. So it was like a hot mess. But if it wasn't because I had the support at the time of my boyfriend saying like, hey, this is not right. This is not how you should be living your life. Who knows what happened? And it's okay. Like uh, uh, one therapist told me she compared it to somebody in uh, the military mm -hmm. going to war, doing whatever they need to do to survive war and then come back to civilization are there that person that they had to do you know if they had to kill somebody are they that person or they're the person over here so like you have to give yourself grace for what you did to survive whatever season of your life and that's where I'm at now trying to give myself grace for the decisions that I made to survive that, that season I love that Give yourself grace to survive the season of your life or whatever you did to survive the season of your life. Yeah. And that bit is huge, especially when it's things that happened in your childhood mm -hmm. and you were a child and everything that you did, whether you realized or not, your body and your brain was functioning to keep you in survival. Yes. And so there has to be a grace period and mm -hmm. there has to be that, that grace because you were the child and whichever adult was in your life at the time, they were the adult. Yeah. But I think even as adults, we still have to give ourselves grace. And like for you in your 20s, whatever you did to survive that period. Yeah. So, yeah. I did what I had to do. And now, well, trying to get out of the survival mode. <laughs> that one is a hard one. <laughs> that is definitely the biggest bit of You can the be journey. okay with the trauma. You can be okay with everything. But that's survival mode. And like right now, I'm like, this is what I was fighting for 10 years ago. Just to have a roof over my head, a car that drives, and good people around me. I am not surviving anything. There's nothing, absolutely nothing to survive. But survival mode hits you and it's always in the back of your head. <laughs> 
and in other places in your head if you think about the fact that it's the lovely little uh, alarm bell that goes off and tells your body you need to get into survival mode yes it's that piece of work that acceptance like you said giving yourself grace all the acceptance all the forgiveness that it wasn't you forgiving yourself for everything that was not yours to be responsible for and oh yeah and and then getting to the point of being able to write a love letter to yourself and truly feel it is a massive journey it wasn't until the other day that i realized that i was holding on to guilt shame and responsibility that didn't belong to me just the other day i'm talking like maybe a few months ago I think out of all of the emotions and feelings we can feel, that shame is so powerful, has fingers everywhere. Every time you think you've got hold of it and dealt with it, you find another finger hidden somewhere else. Yeah, I'd say shame and anger were holding hands and they were my best friends for the longest time. But I finally set them aside. I'm like, well, hold up now. Do you really need to be there? <laughs> you, I think you need to go on a vacation. <laughs> Permanent. Yeah, yeah. Don't come back. <laughs> Don't. Taking all the laughter into account. And I and I do appreciate, we're, you know, we're talking about really heavy subjects. Actually, to get to that point of even recognising that shame, that guilt and responsibility that isn't yours. Given that you weren't even talking about your trauma. Mm-hmm. not that long ago to get to to where you are is just amazing thank you definitely not to be downplayed and... I know I do downplay a lot of the things that I should be get, giving myself credit for I downplay it <laughs> I think we all do we all do and actually we need to get used to celebrating every single step and recognizing every single step I know that the first time that you and I spoke and you were obviously talking about your your one year journey, but my response to you was that we need chips so that it can be like, here's your chip or here's your reminder that you've had your month of loving yourself and your two months of loving yourself and your year of loving yourself. Because recovering from any other form of coping and certainly coping with emotions which ultimately is what addiction is. It's a way of numbing out. There is this recognition of, yes, you're seven days, you're 30 days. And all the time there's not just this recognition, but celebration of how far you've got. And I think Mm -hmm. when it's this self-love journey and this healing journey, especially when it's not a program in inverted commas, actually we do need that recognition and not just from ourselves, but actually from others as well to go, yes, look at how far you really have come. Yeah. And we do it with kids all the time. Exactly. They say the first words. They say the fir- they take the first steps, and we make a party like it was something that it has never been done before. But here we are surviving adulthood, <laughs> and nobody's cheering us on. <laughs> well, and also not just surviving adulthood. Actually, going back and rehealing. Mm-hmm. I still need to come up with another word for reparenting because I don't like it, <laughs> but I don't have one right now. Reparenting ourselves. Yeah. If this was your five-year-old self doing everything that you've been doing now, even though you are healing your inner five-year-old, yes, there'd be celebrations and there'd be applause and every single step you take forward would be recognized. So Absolutely. That's exactly what we need to do as adults. Yeah, no. And I agree with the reparenting because you have to. 
uh, for some of us, like me, uh, we didn't have present parents. So we have to go back and be like, it's okay, little Francie. This and this and that happened. And just expect, like my friend, she has a really troubled daughter, but she has a lot of trauma. And her saying is, you have big feelings. Give mommy those big feelings for mommy to handle it because mommy can. That's too much for you. And she's eight. I was like, what? <laughs> that is amazing. So like, yeah. I mean, when we're talking your story, we're talking the whole spectrum of childhood. But you talked about the, the anger as a teenager. And that's definitely something I can connect with. That's definitely when my anger kicked in was my teenage years. And I would have loved to have had that response to, to instead of stop being angry. Yeah, give <laughs> or, mommy your feelings. Oh, my God. This yes, is too yes, much for you to handle. Yeah, because I mean, I remember it being overwhelming. And with all the young people I've worked with, they talk about this massive, overwhelming anger. We talk about worry and anxiety and slowly everything's caught up. You know, we have worry monsters that kids can feed their worries to and being tearful and sad has become much more acceptable. It's not so much boys don't cry and all those other messages that used to be given. But I still think anger has a taboo side to it. And that instead of looking at why the young person is angry it's still they get blamed for their behavior they get punished for their behavior mm -hmm. and actually instead of it being give those feelings over it's too much for you yeah no i love it and i uh i created a new category for anger and that's how i have slowed down because i did a mental health evaluation and nobody should be francy anger like <laughs> nobody there's like 50 and then 12 percent, two percent and then there was Francie that's how bad the anger came up on the mental health evaluation and I was like wow but it's suppressing your feelings not acknowledging the trauma that you had going on so much that you collect through the years that it just comes out as anger. But then if you look at it in a different way, then you can see, oh, no, I feel abandoned. That's why anger is coming up. Yeah. Oh, no, I feel uh, anxiety. That's why anger is coming up. Because it might look like anger, but it might be another emotion mixed with anger. So glad you said that, because I think that is such a huge learning that actually under anger, so much of the time is something else. It might be trying to cover that sense of unworthiness. It might be, but that's been triggered by something. Yeah. Whether it's sadness under there, whether it's abandonment, rejection. I know you talked about shame and anger holding hands. Actually, my perspective is, is a little bit different, which is probably shame under anger. Mm -hmm. Ang anger is the I guess the visible it is the the emotion but it's also the visible behavior and actually sat underneath there is is some shame quite a yep. lot of shame not just some a hundred percent I agree with you and again as you were talking about the fact that just suppressing it all 
I always think in images, the image that came to mind is every time we try and suppress, we're trying to hold more and more into this Coke bottle that we hold inside of us. And every single time we try and suppress, actually all that's happening is the Coke bottle's getting shaken up more and more and more. And unless we take the top off and we control the release, it's going to come out. And for me, that's exactly when the anger comes out because we've just tried to keep it down and keep it down and hold it together in whatever way we can. And and then at some point, our body and mind just go, enough, it's coming up. A hundred percent. And I think this is the where, I mean, absolutely therapy when it's the level of trauma, especially the level you're talking about. Absolutely therapy has got to be in there. Coaching is not going to do it on its own. No, not at all. <laughs> but I love the fact that you use both and the mentorship as a way of working through all the past and then actually what do I do with that now and how do I move forward with it Mm -hmm. yeah I'm getting um the understanding of my brain and the grace and compassion through therapy and then through mentorship I'm getting what to do next and that's the big bit, because once you've got into the journey, that's the big bit. Getting through the trauma and the working through the trauma and certainly that big dip of actually going, here's how deep everything is. That's the first bit. That never feels good. That's messy. And then once you've worked through or are working past that big dip, you're then there as this different person. And so what does the person that you're becoming do? How do they respond instead of react? How do they live? Like you've talked about your boundaries and the people around you. and What kind of energy you want to bring in the room? Do you want to bring anger with you? Do you want to bring peace? And peace was huge. I do the word of the year. Mm-hmm. So this year was my year of peace. And by the fourth day in January, I was having a panic attack. So that's how my year of peace started. <laughs> uh, but but- had another, another 300 plus days. Yeah, it's the energy that you want to bring in the room. Like, what do you want to be known for? The woman that is self-confident and she loves herself and she has boundaries and in standards or the angry one, <laughs> the uh, negative feelings one, you know? So what do you want to be known for? Which one feels better? Oh my gosh, the <laughs> loving yourself and just being, just bringing joy everywhere that you go. <laughs> it's not easy, especially because I work for the post office and that's very hard. And I will have other people that are better than me at it. And I'm like, how do you do it? Because right now I just feel like cursing everybody out. I'm burning the place down. <laughs> so I'm not perfect at it yet. <laughs> I don't think anybody's perfect at it. I would really, I'd love to actually interview anybody that is perfect at it because we're all human. We all have those days where we want to cuss the world out. We want to scream at somebody. But the self-love is then, for me, what you do with it. So the fact that you accept that was the space you're in and forgive yourself for that response and see it as a blip, not as a going backwards or actually this is still the person you are it was just a moment that you can have the compassion for yourself and others to apologize if you need to apologize for something you've said or done and recognizing that and actually the courage to do that because 
going back and saying, you know, I'm really sorry for what I said. Or I think my biggest one is usually it's not about what I've said that I need to apologize for, but maybe the way I said it, if I was just in that moment and I need to kind of go back and go, yeah, what I said still stands, but I'm really sorry that it could have maybe been a bit more considerate. Yeah, no, 100%. And doing the inner work, the inner child work, the mental work and things like that. I see the rewards now. Uh, Just in the last month, I had two co-workers uh, that came at me with anger. And I was able to stop and be like, whoa, hold up now. That's a you problem, not a me problem. So I think by doing the work, you can recognize what is of you and what is of somebody else. So you can make the decision of, okay, am I going to react to it or am I going to step back and just give that person some grace because they're having a tough day, but don't bring your tough day over here because I'm having a great day over here. (laughs) (laughs) It is that separating out. And especially if you've had those experiences of those codependent relationships, whether parental or partner, and you're expected to react a certain way because that's what feeds the relationship that actually if you're able to step back and not do that and respond differently that opens the door for the other person to make a choice about them oh yeah 100 percent. one i cause a, a stomach ache because i say we're uh too strong independent and uh, not independent but like strong personality woman and very opinionative and it was my first win so she was shocked Because she was really coming at me with all the anger. And I was like, dude, I am not trying to fight over here. So like five, 10 minutes later, she's like, oh my gosh, you gave me a stomach ache. I have anger and I can't let it out. So I had to like work on myself because I was the one triggered. I was cracking up and I was like, it didn't feel like a win because I was inside. I was crying. I was like, I really don't want to fight with you today. Please let it go. And I know that when I've spoken, I'm trying to think which episode it was on now when I spoke to the lovely Tina, we were talking about sacred rage and actually Mm -hmm. women seeing rage and using rage as as a sacred thing, that this is not an emotion to be embarrassed about. It's not an emotion that we can't use, but it's how we express it. So exactly, not expressing it on your co-worker, but maybe finding whether it's a punch bag, whether it's screaming into your pillow and throwing a two-year-old tantrum on your bed. Oh, yeah. Because that's where you can release it all and not include others. Oh, I take many drives with the windows up and I'm screaming my lungs out. Yeah, definitely. I recommend that. (laughs) (laughs) But a healthy way to release. Yes. If there's anyone listening today and they're really resonating with your journey and and the fact that you've got to the place where you can love yourself, any tips or any ideas for them on how to start or anything that you learned along the way? Uh, First of all, if you can relate to anything in my story, my heart breaks for you. (laughs) And I'm sending you a big hug and lots of kisses and all the joy in the world, you know, all the love in the world. But uh, yeah, now with podcasting and just look for the resources out there. If you're not ready to speak your truth, then look for resources, podcasting, YouTube, Google, anything related to whatever you're going through at the moment, because there's resources and don't be so hard on yourself. 
don't. Just don't. It's not worth it and it's not necessary. I will just add one caveat to the resources, which is choose the resources that make you feel good. Just because somebody is saying something, if your body is really fighting with it or it's triggered you, feel into that. And have you been triggered because that's something you need to deal with? Or have you been triggered because actually that person really isn't for you? And that Mm -hmm. would be my only caveat on the resources that are out there. And yes, as for the being kind to yourself, self-compassion, all the way that's probably the one tool that we could all do with and that's probably the one tool that actually could be taught in schools is self-compassion i think that could get us so far yeah i just started it not too long ago and i recommend it and journaling for me it has been a lifesaver and i'm i'm another one that absolutely loves journaling to dump the crap (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. if we're holding on to it as, as a somewhere to dump it all and also to get some of those answers because If you write enough, eventually you find yourself coming up with some of the answers. And one of the things that journaling can help with is learning to trust yourself. As your experiences and other people's, you lose that trust in yourself because of the actions of other people in your life. And I think journaling can give you some insight into yourself and that actually the fact that you already know a lot of stuff for yourself and then it's bringing it back. It's not always needing other people to tell you or show you how but actually maybe just support you in the you already know it and trust it a hundred (laughs) percent I saw a look of recognition then as I said that (laughs) yeah a hundred percent Francie is there anything else that you are thinking I would love to share this oh no I'm just just so grateful for this conversation like like we said at the beginning we didn't know where we were going you know (laughs) because it's freestyle and I can't wait to listen back and get a different perspective in my own life with your comments and the things that you added on so thank you so much Thank you for coming and sharing and in the detail that you have. I know that you're dealing with it. I know that you are healing. I also know it's still a work in progress, as we all are. Thank you for coming and sharing, because I know there are women out there that need to hear that despite all of their own experiences, they can get to that place of of self-love. They can be celebrating that first year and make sure they celebrate that first year and every single step within the year as well, not wait till the year's out. And just know that they can turn their life around and they can make a difference, whether it's 34, mine was 40s, whatever stage you're at, that big sign of it's never too late. And it's okay. Divine timing is a real thing. So if you're not there, it's okay. You will get there little by little, one step at a time. The only thing I will add before we finish is that one of the things that you've got into is podcasting for yourself and life with Francie. And what we will do is drop a link to your podcast for anyone that would like to connect with that as well. We'll have that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Um, Mental health is my jam. So uh, anything related to mental health, I love talking about it. Self-care, self-love, trauma, hobbies. And that's why I created the podcast to be relatable. You can come out of the darkness in your life it doesn't have to be dark forever you know what you can come out of the darkness along with give yourself the grace i love those two and that just seems like a perfect place to say thank you so much thank you this was amazing
I love your podcast and I love your self-love helping others to self to love themselves. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for joining me for yet another Fierce Soul conversation. To find out more about me and my work, please see the links in the show notes. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I look forward to you joining me next time.